Um, all right, let's, let's jump in Philippians chapter 2. It's inter- so I'm glad this chapter, this text fell on the week, it di- the week that it did because many of you are, are kind of our regular covenant members of Hill City. Many of our college students are gone, a lot of guests that would normally be here that are, tra- are traveling away this week because it's a little bit different um, look at this text. So we're going to use this text this morning to jump off on a chance for me to cast some vision of something we haven't talked about much yet just because we're so new. We're nine months old and, and we've got to get th- to things as we get to them. Um, but what I'm going to talk about, we saw a perfect picture of this morning. So this morning, the lady that usually runs kind of the, all of this stuff that happens in here, and Steve that runs sound, they're both gone. Scott, who's our main worship leader, is gone. We have, so we have my wife, who runs, kind of leads our kids, is gone. We have a bunch of our team leads gone this week, and nothing has dropped at all. Matter of fact, the guys that the guys were up here, lead, yeah. The, so I don't know if you could tell, like these young guys that are up here leading today, they crushed it. How many how many churches could the main worship leader and, and even some of the main band leave, and we not we not like drop at all? We just keep on going. I want a chance to 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 plug Scott here. Scott meets with these young guys every single Monday night for a couple of hours, stays up late, and then has to get up early and teach the next morning, just pouring into them and developing them, talking through why he picks songs and, and asks them to wrestle with what songs to do. And, and that is an example of what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, Hayden, who plays guitar over here, he wrote that prayer. He sent that to me in the email this week. He said, hey, I want to send this to you, just kind of get your thoughts on it. And I thought it was like from a theological textbook. You know, we'll, we'll, put that, we'll put that scripture up on Facebook later, that prayer on Facebook. He wrote that. And one of our passions at Hill City, one of our main passions, is to constantly be pouring into and developing the next generation of leaders. That's what we're going to look at today. So our mission statement, our vision statement at Hill City says this. It says, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. So that statement is what drives us as a church. And here's the reality. Many churches, many organizations, businesses have vision statements or mission statements. And it's great and it can look really cute on a board. And we can put it on our coffee cups. We can put it everywhere. But if that statement doesn't drive us and somehow lead us to some sort of action, like so many organizations, they say, well, we have a vision statement and well, that's what we want to do. Well, how do you do that? I don't know. We're just doing that. We're just going to make, we just want to make disciples. Well, how are you going to make disciples? I don't know. We're just going to do church and we'll make disciples. How are we going to, how are we going to restore our city? I, I don't know. We're just going to try to do some things in our city and yeah, we'll hope it gets restored. So vision statements are great, but only to the extent that it drives what we do and that everything we do filters to that and helps build upon that. That's what we're going to look at today. Go to Philippians chapter two. Let's look at verse 19. So Paul's been writing this church in Philippians starting to instruct them on what he wants them to do. And then in, in, chapter, in verse 19, he's just going to give them a little message here. But I want us to not, a, a lot of times as we preach books of the Bible, this would be a week that we would skip over. So it's like, what, what is there here to, to pull out? But as I read this, I was like, no, we can't skip, skip over this because actually this is one of the most crucial things for the life of our church right now. Philippians 2 verse 19, here's what he says. I hope in the Lord... Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So he's writing to this church, Paul's in prison. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. 
For I have no one like him, that's Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. He's, if you remember last chapter, he's talking about these other evangelists that are kind of using Paul's imprisonment as a time to kind of make themselves get ahead. That's who, that's who he's referring to. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Look at verse 20. He says, I'm going to send Timothy for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. If you know anything about the Bible, Timothy is Paul's um, kind of right hand man. And Paul has been intentionally developing Timothy into a top level leader. We first see Timothy in Acts 16 when Paul's heading out on his second journey. He comes across um, uh, the city of Lystra and we see that he picks up this young man and he takes this young man and he's pretty young. We think he's a teenager at that time. He takes this young man with him on his journey and Timothy becomes Paul's apprentice. And over the book, over through Acts and Romans and into First and Second Timothy, we watch this guy Timothy develop from a son of Paul, kind of like this adopted boy that he's going to pour into, into an apprentice where he's following Paul and he's learning, and then into this fellow worker that Paul would say he's actually just even with me. And that is a process in Timothy's life of development. So we watch Timothy develop all through his life. And here's what Paul says about Timothy. He's a gifted, humble, and selfless leader. As a matter of fact, Paul's thinking, who can I send to this church in Philippi to help them out? And he's like, you know what? Timothy. He's humble. He says, there's no one that will have more concern for you than Timothy. So Paul has intentionally developed Timothy and poured into him and equipped him. And now Timothy's ready to go out. We know that we see that Timothy has this like selfless, Christ-centered character. If you remember back to a few weeks ago, we looked at the first part of Ephesians when Paul's going to say uh, one of the secrets to life is count others as more significant than yourselves, meaning care more for others than you do for yourselves. And here's what he's going to say. Timothy embodies that. And that's what he does. And therefore, Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy for you. Here's a question. What if Paul, when he went through Lystra and saw some teenage boy with pimples, would have just said, ah, he's too young. Or, man, he's pretty rough around the edges. Or, I just don't have time. I don't have time to deal with this kid. I've got work to do. I've got to do my thing. What if Paul would have done that? He would now be sitting in the, in the jail saying, man, I wish I had someone to send to Philippi. I wish I had someone to send to Philippi. But because of Paul's foresight, he's invested in Timothy, and now he's ready to send him out. Our goal at Hill City... One of our goals from day one is to produce leaders like Timothy, selfless, humble, gracious. We can be ready to send out. Our goal is to create a gospel-centered, disciple-making and leadership development culture. That is what Brad and I are about. A gospel-centered, which if you've been with us for the past nine months, you know how we've hammered that. We have worked on that part. That's the, that was the first plot, kind of first foundational element, a gospel-centered culture that is discipleship-focused 
and then, and then focuses on leadership development. There's a culture around leadership development. We desire Hill City to be an empowering culture. An empowering culture. We are constantly giving leadership away. That is our goal. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, here's what, what Paul writes. He said, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he's given all these, these leaders of the church. Why? To do everything? No, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Brad and I see our role as not to do everything. Brad and I see our role to equip the workers, you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. Now some of you are like, wait a second, Hood. Like, you want me to pay you to get me to do your work? Yes, it's exactly what I want. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. My job is not to do the work of the ministry. So many, so many churches, here's what they say, the senior pastor, your job is to preach, your job is to care for everyone, your job is, your job is to go to the hospital, your job is to share the gospel, to, hey, my friend that doesn't know Christ, will you please save him too? When actually the biblical way of doing this is my job, Brad's job, our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, what we can be in danger in is saying, hey, go do the work of the ministry. Come on. And then about every three months, how come you guys aren't doing that good enough? You know, and, and you kind of have that like spanking sermon from the platform. One of the things we believe, we can never ask you to do something we have not equipped you to do. So my job, our job is to equip the saints for the, to do the work of the ministry. So we have this driving conviction that all believers are called to ministry. Matter of fact, I hate that phrase of like, are you called to the ministry? Because here's the answer, yes. If, if you're a believer in Christ, you are called to the ministry. Go look at Matthew 28, great commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all. You are called to ministry. So we don't see a minister as some special calling. As a matter of fact, all of you are. So when I'm talking about developing leaders and I'm talking about Christian leadership, okay, here is the idea of a Christian leader because I want us to separate this because a lot of you are going to think, well, he's just talking about leadership positions in our church. At one level I am, but there's a big level, bigger level because a Christian leader is one that's obedient to God's call in all spheres of life. So as we talk about leadership development, it's not just developing positions in this church. It's saying, how can we equip our people to be the leaders that God has called them to be in all spheres of, spheres of life? So how can you become a better leader so you can be a better teacher at your school? How can you become a better leader so you can be a better worker at your company? You can be a better boss. So Christian leadership is all spheres of life. It, it, so it's not just focused on leading in our church. As a matter of fact, here's what we believe. That idea of blessing the city, being for the city. We believe that if we are developing great leaders here, that our businesses, our organizations, our schools, and our city will prosper because of it. That's what we believe. One of my pastor friends um, has a church down in Florida and they meet on, they're the only church in the world that meets on one of Disney's campuses or like one of their um, facilities in Orlando, Florida. They meet at Disney. They've been doing that for a couple of years. And as I've done that, a bunch of the Disney works have started coming to that. 
Guess what happened? Disney leadership comes and approaches this church and says, hey, do you think you could open some other campuses on some of our other properties around the world? Why? Because Christian godly people, godly leaders are great workers. And even Disney has seen the value of this church that's investing in leaders and then putting them right there and their workers are coming like, man, this is awesome. They want to partner with them. We believe our city will flourish if we have Christian gospel-centered leaders in all spheres of influence. One of my, if you know me, I love to leave, lead, lead, read leadership books. One of the statistics I'll throw out if you like that stuff, 60% to 70% of leadership is applicable in any domain. domain. 60 to 70% is applicable anywhere. Hill City, our, our job, our, Brad and I, our tension is how do we create a gospel-centered, discipleship-making, leadership development culture. One of the things we tell all of our team leads is one is none and two is one. So I told Scott, hey, you can be a great, great worship leader, but if it's just you, we're going to look and say we have no worship leaders. Why? Because you're going to go on a mission trip. And then here we are. Sound people. One is none, two is one. If we had two of them, that means we have one because one of them could be gone just like that. Our job at Hill City is to create a leadership development culture where any of us could go out just like that and Hill City never misses a beat. I hope that if I get hit by a bus this week, that our church will not skip a beat. Actually, you'll probably get a little stronger. That is a type of culture we desire to create here. Here's what Craig Rochelle says, which he's a pastor and leader of a, of a huge church that started in Oklahoma, he says this, the key to success in any organization, business leaders, I hope you, any organization, not just church, is identifying, developing, and empowering the right people. Identifying, developing, empowering the right people. Most leaders are trying to figure out the right strategy. The best leaders are obsessed with empowering the right people. Huge statement there. Keep that up for a little bit. The key to success in any organization, school, business, church, identifying, developing, empowering the right people. It's so funny. You go to the, there's these pastors conference and church conferences all over, all over the country. And all these guys get there and, the, and here's what they want to know. Like what's, your, like, what's the secret? Come on, give me this new tool. Give me this new thing, this new program. Like give me something that's going to help us get to the next level. Here's what his argument would be. It's not about the something. It's not about the strategy. Sure, strategy helps. But if we want to build a successful church that impacts this city, we have to be obsessed with empowering the right people and putting them into place. Okay, so, so many people say, okay, we, we need to find the right people so let's, like, let's look around the country and say, who are the top people? And then let's get them, and then we'll be ready to go. And here's what I'd say. Um, we're a church plan. Have you seen our budget? I was talking to someone this week just about this, the life of our church and where we want to get to. And he, I mean, he didn't even know I was talking about this today. And he looked at me and said, you know what? The, the number one challenge for you right now, the number one goal for you needs to be developing leaders because you don't have the budget to hire them. Craig Rochelle would say the single most effective thing is to build quality leaders. I would argue that that's the way Jesus rolled. He shows up on earth, he's, earth, he's got three years to kind of create a movement. So what's he do? Gets 12 men and invest in them, 
for three years. To then when Jesus leaves, they take it, they, they keep going with it, and I think they did an okay job. Because here we are. So our goal is to create a disciple-making and leadership development culture. Which sounds great, and we have this vision statement that guides us. But here's what we know is culture trumps confessions, convictions, mission statements, vision statements. Culture trumps all of those things. One, we don't even know who said it. One person said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So we can have great strategy and great ideas and great vision statements and conviction and all these things, but the culture that we have will drive us. So from day one, Brad and I have tried to pound this into the people that are leading in our church, which is all volunteers, saying, we must be constantly thinking, who do you have that you're investing into that you're bringing along? Who can do it better than you in the next couple of years? Because here's the deal. If we don't do this, Hill City will, will kind of fire off like a, like a bottle rocket, and we're doing good, and then we'll get to about right here, and it's going to go, crash. Because ultimately, a church that does not invest in leaders what happens is the pastors become the ceiling to the organization. So Hill City will only grow or only be as effective as much as mine and Brad's abilities. That's the ceiling. We become the ceiling if we don't invest in other leaders, which I'll just tell you, we're a pretty low ceiling. Like there's some leaders that like that ceiling's pretty high. Ain't us. And so I, I always want to like laugh. So people come up to me and they say things like, you know, Daniel, I just really appreciate how you can take a, a Bible passage and you can make it really simple in a way that's easy to, like, to get your hands around. Here's what I'm thinking. It's simple because I'm not smart. Like, I would love to make it more complex. Like, I'd love to throw some Greek stuff in there and I, I would love just... News, it's simple because that's what I am. I just make it simple. I always tease Brad. You know those, those uh, personality tests and all those leadership tests you take at work? He has strength finder and all those. You take all these things and it tells you where you're strong. There's usually like four or five categories. Okay, and I'm always strong in a couple and weak in a couple. I always tease Brad because Brad is just average in everything. Like it's just level across the board. And he's like, no, I'm just good at it. No, no you have no gifts. That's basically what that means. You just have no talent. You're not good at anything. Like here's the... If we're the ceiling, Hill City's in trouble. So from day one, as we start our church, as we started this church, we have given ministry away from day one. Volunteers at our church lead our finances. I told Michael, I don't want to have anything to do with the money. First of all, that's not my gift. Second of all, I've seen too many pastors get involved with that and it go bad. Volunteers lead our finances. Volunteers lead all of our city groups. Volunteers run our children's, our college, our youth, our worship, our gatherings, our connections, our setup. I could keep going. So from day one, we said, if we're going to have a successful church, if we're going to make an impact in the city, it can't be built on us and our ability because that ain't going to take us very far. So from day one, we said, how do we find the right people, get them in place, and then start building into them and develop them as leaders. So our, our, our goal is to have this culture that says we are about making disciples, sharing the gospel, investing in people, helping them pass from death to life. And as we take these disciples, we don't just want them to sit in church. We want to then empower them to become 
great leaders. Like, okay, sounds good, right? Let's, let's go. Like, okay, sound, thumbs up. Here's what we know, though. Conviction without constructs leads to frustration. How many of you guys have, have ever poured concrete or seen someone pour concrete? When they pour concrete, they don't just dig a hole and just dump concrete in there. Because there's no constructs to it. There's no form to it. So what, what, what they do first is they, is they build a form, usually with wood, and then they pour the concrete, and that form acts, kind of hold the concrete in. Conviction, we have a conviction for developing leaders. We want to do it. It's great. Everyone wants to do something. Conviction without constructs leads to frustration. So we can say we want to build leaders all day long, but if we don't have this, this, very, this very concrete way to make this happen, it's not going to happen. So here's what we're working on right now. And I hope by our covenant member meeting in, uh, in end of April, 1st of May, to be able to give this whole thing to you. Which, Brad, I think I just gave us a deadline. Sorry, man. We're working on a leadership development pipeline. Leadership development pipeline. pipeline. Think of a pipeline as something where you start here and there's these processes, this construct that you go through and you develop as you go along. A leadership development pipeline that provides a framework for how we want to do leadership at our church. Because here's the problem, without a pipeline, without some process to move people along, here's what happens in a church is people start consuming Bible studies. That's what happens. They consume Bible studies in classes, and then here's what they do. Hey, we've done all of your classes, we've done all your Bible studies, what else do you have for us to do? And quickly the culture can just be one of consuming information, and what happens, we have the same 50 people in all the same classes. And for whatever reason, the church becomes a play, an organization where you take classes, but you never graduate. You just keep taking classes. Keep giving us more. So a pipeline says, what's a process to say, here's where someone is, and how do we develop them into the highest level leader they can be because we want to send them out to do some great things in the city and around the world. That's the idea of a pipeline. So that's what we're working on right now, and, and hopefully we'll have it by the covenant member meeting. It's going to be quite the pipeline. Like, why is this such a big deal? What's the big deal? I mean, we're doing fine right now. We're, we're seeing growth in our church. Why, why is it such a big deal to pour into leaders? Here's why. And if you're a business leader, I want you to, to think about this. Leadership is a temporary assignment. Leadership is a temporary assignment. So right now, God has called Brad and I and the elders to lead this church, but that assignment is temporary. It may be one week. I don't know what next week's going to bring. It may be one year, it may be 20 years, but if, if Hill City is going to exist and be a light in this city, we have to understand that leadership is a temporary assignment. And if we don't understand that, we're just going to say, okay, I'm going to do everything. It's all built on me. And then the problem is when I'm gone, it fails. Or when Brad's gone, it fails. Leadership is a temporary assignment. So a leader says, I'm going to steward what God's given me now, but I know that it's temporary and I know I'm going to have to, have to pass it on to someone else. You guys remember the story of Moses. God goes to Moses and said, hey, Moses, I've got a job for you to do. Here's a calling for you. Uh, my people who I love, are in captivity. They're slaves in Egypt. And Moses, you're going to go 
to Pharaoh and you're going to ask him to let my people go. Big assignment, fair? Moses is like, I don't know if I can do that. God's like, no, you can't. I'll be with you. Go do it. Okay, so Moses does that. He leads the people out of, out of Egypt. And remember, God has a home for him. And Moses' job was, you rescue them, you deliver them, you lead them out, take them to my home. Well, if you know the story, Moses leads them out, but he doesn't quite get them to their home. It kind of goes bad. And they wander for 40 years. And there's this, this great sequence of events I want us to see here. that We find this in Joshua chapter 1. Here's what it says. After the death of Moses... Remember, Moses had this job. He didn't quite get it done. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Do you see that? He's Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, Joshua, therefore, arise. You're ready. He's been investing in you. You've been his assistant. You're ready. Go over this Jordan and you, you and all the people into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. So Moses died. The leadership torch has now been passed to Joshua. And God says, Joshua, Moses is dead. It's on you. Go. Awesome story of leadership development. But here's a problem. We get down to Judges chapter 2, which we're, this summer we're going to do, we're going to look at the, the, the book of Judges. In verse 8, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So Joshua's done his job, and now Joshua dies. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So we see this stark contrast. Moses dies, Joshua's there, Israel goes on. They even accomplished greater things than Moses could do. Joshua dies, Israel fails. And as you read the book of Judges, they get pretty off track. So here's what we see about Joshua. Joshua, while he was a great general and a great person to get on the battlefield and drive people out, he was not good at developing leaders. So Joshua dies, and the word is, there's no one around that can take his place and keep it going. Israel's in a leadership crisis. We're one generation away from a leadership crisis at Hill City. One generation. If we are not constantly developing leaders, pouring into the next generation, taking them along the process, Hill City will be like a bottle rocket, will shoot off strong, and then will flutter and will fall. And that is our Brad and I's conviction is that we say, how do we develop a culture in our church that is all about leadership development? Where we constantly ask our team members, who are you investing in? Who can do this job when you're not there? Can they do it better than you can? Leadership development. So great leaders like Moses give responsibility away. Great leaders give responsibility away. So for Brad and I, here's what we, we sat down with a group of men, about 15 of them, and we looked at them, they're city group leaders, and we said to them, we are giving ministry away to you. We know that we have, last week there's 500 people, our biggest crowd yet. We have 500 people, they are all here in the same week, 600, 650 people. Brad and I know we cannot shepherd 650 people, we cannot do it. So we looked at those men and said, we are passing 
the shepherding torch on to you. Your job is to care for, shepherd, pastor, teach our people. And beautiful stories have happened out of that. I'm getting ready to get on a plane to head to Italy over Christmas break. I get a call that says one of our members is going to the hospital. And uh, it's actually pretty serious. Okay? Uh, Receive a call not too long after that from one of our city leaders saying, hey, just so you know, I went and visited him. Things are going well. Over the next month or two, while this member's in the hospital, his city group leader constantly was up at the hospital. I was talking to this guy two weeks ago. He's telling me with tears how cared for he felt by Hill City Church. And it was all his city group leader and his city group pouring into him. Brad and I just said, great job. Like if, it, if we didn't have a culture where we're giving that away, I'm in Italy. How are we going to care for this guy in the hospital and his family? Story after story of, of um, women having children here, which are something in the water because there's like, there are babies everywhere, right? Story after story of, women, of, of families having babies and their city group leader and their city groups organizing meals for them. Brad and I have never even have to thought about a meal once. It's giving ministry away. City group leaders, are you giving ministry away? One of the reasons we have those different roles of ministry in our city group leaders or in our city groups of facilitators and, and children and, and hospitality and all that is it's a chance for our city group leaders now to give ministry away to other people, to be invested in them. Our ministry leaders, we've asked them to keep empowering other people and keep training and, and pouring into other people. What, what if we had a church where our student minister, our, our youth, the guy leading our youth, what if it wasn't his job to lead the youth and what if it was actually the youth's job to lead the youth? Like instead of the youth saying, hey, we want an event. We want a pizza night and a skating party. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go plan that. What if he said, okay, plan it. I'll help you. I'll come alongside you. I'll make, I'll make sure you think, hey, we need plates for food. I'll, I'll help you think about that. Like that is the culture we desire to create at Hill City where we are continually investing and giving ministry away. It's how we hope to accomplish making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. So building this great lead, this leadership culture, it starts with discipleship culture. It starts with investing in people and sharing the gospel, which um, Hill City, let me challenge us. I'm, I'm talking to the adults here, covenant members. Um, we've seen a ton of young people be baptized so far. A bunch of them. We're grateful for it. A bunch of college students. The one, one of my um, tensions, burdens for our church is we've yet to see a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old come to Christ and get baptized. Adults, may we keep investing in people, sharing the gospel, sharing truth, grace and truth together. Because leadership happens when discipleship happens. Okay, so a great leadership development church starts with great discipleship. And then as we look at leadership development, Harold, if you'll throw up on the screen that little, uh, that little picture. Um, sorry, I, I'm skipping that. Yeah, the next one. So as we look at leadership and developing leaders, there's three areas that we would say, if we're going to be a, a leadership church that develops leaders, we've got to develop three things. Knowledge, experience, and coaching. Three aspects of a healthy leadership development culture. Knowledge, experiences, and coaching. Paul taught Timothy. He takes this little teenager along with him and he pours into him the Word of God. He teaches him theology. And then 
Paul's getting ready to send Timothy out on his own. He's going to give him some experience. Any of you have ever been sent on your own? Like he's getting ready to learn the hard way that church isn't as cool as he thought it was. He's giving him experience. And then here's what you see all through the book of First and Second Timothy. You know what Paul's doing? He's coaching him. He sent him out. He's already given him knowledge. He's given a chance for experience. He sent him out to go do ministry among the churches. Then read First and Second Timothy. All it is are coaching books. Hey, Timothy, keep doing this. Do this better. So three aspects of a healthy leadership development culture is knowledge, experience, and coaching. Now, here's the problem. You take those things and remove one, we're in trouble. Like if we just focus on knowledge, here's what we end up having. Fat Christians. And when I mean fat, I mean Christians with a ton of knowledge that do nothing with it. The difference between someone with knowledge and a learner is a learner actually applies what they learn. We like knowledge, we like theology, we like that, but knowledge by itself doesn't get us anywhere. Now, we can give experience, but without knowledge or coaching, experience is going to get us in trouble because it's going it's to throw leaders out there and they're going to have really bad experiences. Anyone ever had that before? Hey, go do this. And there's been no knowledge and no coaching. It's like, okay, and it went really badly for you? Yeah, that's what happens when you just take experience without the other things. Now, coaching if we just have coaching, there's no experience to coach. So in order for us to have a healthy leadership development culture, these three areas have to be their knowledge, experience, and coaching. We see that all through the Bible as Paul is pouring into Timothy. So right now, one of our, one of our covenant members, Patrick Carpenter, is leading our ministry team. There's about 20 of us. We're going through the Great Game of Business, which, a, which is an organization here in Springfield, helps businesses. And he is walking through right now. He's giving us knowledge. As we're gaining knowledge, we're doing it. We're, we're, having it, we're experiencing what he's talking about. And then as we experience at the end of it, he's coming back with coaching points to coach us. We're doing this together. Knowledge, experience, and coaching. Okay, so for us to build a leadership development culture, we, as the leaders, we must stay passionately committed to this. Passionately committed to this. Because with, if, without it, we're just going to start doing church. And many of you have probably been a part of a church that just does church. Like you just come, you do your thing, you go to a few classes, you come to worship, you're done, you do church. That's not, that's not what we see the call of God for you. Like, I see greater potential for you. I believe we have people in here that could open up orphanages anywhere in the world and run them from here. That's how talented some of you are. I believe we have young men and young women in this audience right now that could start nonprofits here in Springfield and reach a ton of people and bring a ton of good to this city. Like I have a greater vision for you than just coming to church and sitting and then going home. I see people that are leading businesses in the city and want an opportunity to come into that business with a Christian perspective and lead as God would have you to lead. I see people with teachers and doctors and what an opportunity to come into your organization as a strong Christian leader and be faithful there and see how God works. Like we have a bigger vision for you than just coming and doing church. So right now, we hope to covenant members, I'm going to skip some of this stuff because I don't have time for it. I'll give this to you at our next covenant member meeting. Brad and I with our elder team right now are working on a leadership development pipeline. We've identified four levels of leadership. Harold, you can throw them up. Thank you. 
Four levels of leadership at Hill City Church. For each level of leadership, here's what we're doing. What type of person do we want? What's the character of that person? And we're identifying some character traits. And then we're going to say, okay, how do we teach that? How do we equip that? We're, what competencies does this person need to have? What competency does a small group leader need to have? Well, he needs to know how to facilitate. He needs to know the gospel. Okay, we can't expect that if we don't teach it. How do we teach that? And then convictions. What do they need to understand about Hill City Church, about our vision and each level of ministry? So we're building a leadership development pipeline. Here's our goal. In a few months, we can come to you wherever you are and say, hey, if you want to grow in leadership in our church, and be able to remember 60 to 70% is transferable and you want to grow in leadership in your business, we have a pathway for you. Start here and let's start working this and equipping, in you, equipping you so that you're able to do great things that the Lord's called you to do. It's our leadership development pipeline. We'll be coming out with that very soon. So our leadership development culture will directly affect our capacity to carry out the great commission in this city. It directly affects it. Now, here's what we also need to know. Leadership development is costly. And I'm not talking money. Leadership development is costly because let's not miss what's happening here. Paul's in prison. He has his right-hand guy with him that he's been pouring into. He looks, looks at him as a son in the faith. And what's Paul getting ready to do to Timothy? Send him. Tell me there's not some pain in that. Leadership development is costly. There will be times, and I can't wait for it to happen, when we bring up one of our best leaders on stage and we say, we're sending him. He's going somewhere. Across the world, he's going across town to start a new church. And it will hurt. There's a part of me that wants to hold on tight. Say, no, I want to keep them all here. Leadership development is costly because we're about God's kingdom, not Hill City's kingdom, and it's about giving people away and sending people out and commissioning people. And if you're here, maybe you're one of our young people, and you kind of have this dream of what God would do in your life, here's what I'd tell you. Jump into this process because our goal at Hill City is to send you to do that dream, to equip you, and then to send you to do that dream. Leadership development is costly. So I was talking to a, a, a leader, and uh, this, this particular industry this guy's in, He's constantly investing in guys and then they go on somewhere else. So, so it's kind of a stepping stone place. So these young guys will come in and, and they learn and they grow and they develop into great people and then they go somewhere else. It's a little bit bigger, higher pay, all that. And I was sitting down with this guy and I was asking him like, how do you handle that? I mean, that's like the letting go thing. Like, how do you handle that tension of like, they come here, I build it, I invest in them, they become great and then they leave. How do you deal with that? And here's a quote he said that stuck with me. He says, what if we don't invest in them and they stay? Think about that. What, what if, yeah, it's hard to invest in someone for a few years and they move on. It, yeah, it hurts a little bit. But what if we invest in them and they just stick around for 20 years? How many of you have that coworker at your work? See, if we don't invest in leaders at Hill City, They'll stay, and it'll become a safe place just to be average. As your pastors, as your elders, we are absolutely committed to a leadership development culture, and I invite you into that. And we hope to be able to bring that to you in the next couple of months in a very tangible way. Application, okay, what do we do with this? 
feel like a business presentation period. I geek out on some of this leadership stuff. I apologize. What do we do with this? Here's the first thing I would tell you. First step. Many of you need to become covenant members at Hill City. Many of you have been coming here for a long time. It's time for you to become covenant members. We have our next covenant member training April 2nd. By the way, we don't have church April 2nd. We're not gathering. We don't have a place here. They don't have a spot for us. That Sunday, we're going to take when we normally, normally meet and do a, um, do a one-time covenant member class. If you're not a covenant member, I'm gonna invite you to enroll and register on that. It's on our website. You can register for that. That's the first step. I'll just be transparent. We wanna invest in people that are committed to us. So if you're not a covenant member, I would encourage you to jump into that class. Um, another application. What do I do with this? I said, okay, here we go. One of the first things that we would ask in many leaders is that you can make a disciple. So I'm going to challenge you and encourage you. Who are you investing in? Who's the next person? Who's your guy? Who's your girl that you're investing in? One of the things to help you do this. Can't ask you to do what we haven't trained you to do. In, uh, in the fall, we have a disciple-making seminar coming. The whole weekend, we're going to train you on how to make disciples. That's an action step. Who can you invest in? Well, I don't know what to do. Just do anything. It's better than nothing. Just have coffee with them and talk about life. Do something. Here's another application. Many of you need to go to your city group next time you meet. Be like, hey, I want to do this sometime. What I see you doing leading groups, I want to do this. Go to your city group leader and say, hey, will you start kind of helping me and teaching me how to do this? Maybe let me lead some. That's an action step for you. So our goal at Hill City, our desire is to have a gospel-centered, disciple-making, leadership development culture. We are constantly raising up and sending out the next generation. Now, if we're going to do that, the first step is the gospel-centered culture. And that's why we spent nine months hammering us with that. Here's why. If I'm not rooted in the gospel, I will never give leadership away because I'm going to have certain idols. So mine, idol of control. I like to be in control. Not just in church or leadership, but just in life. I start freaking out when I don't feel like I'm in control. If I'm not securely rooted in the gospel, I won't give leadership away because my idol of control will say, no one can do it like me. I can't give that away because I could probably do it better. Like if I'll, I'll say things like, if I want this done, I gotta make sure and do it because I wanna do it the right way. That's an idol of control. Not being rude in the gospel says, I have to control everything. If I'm not rude in the gospel, I may have an idol of approval, which is this long, be it accepted desire. So a, a leader with an idol of approval says, I can't give this away because they may like the person I give it away to better than they like me. That's an idol of control. There's this fear, or I'm sorry, idol of approval. There's fear is that they might do it and other people might flock to them and not me. That's why the gospel is so important because Christ takes off that idol and says, you don't need that. You don't need approval. You've got it in me. I could keep going through a list of idols. See, this is why the gospel-centered part is so important because I'll never empower the next generation of leader until I'm secure in Christ's love for me. So it's the gospel that frees us from idols, but it's also the gospel that frees us and emp to empower the next generation of leaders because it's not about us. It's not about me. So Hill City, I invite you
over the next few months to start stepping in that leadership development pipeline and grow because God has great things for you to do.